Hey folks, in today's show I tell you a strange story about Unifor, the big labor union representing journalists. Now we all know that Unifor has dedicated themselves to destroying Andrew Scheer and the conservatives in this campaign, but we always assumed that meant it would be through polls and campaign ads and things like that. We didn't know that they were working within the newsrooms of Canadian companies to censor conservatives by stealth. I'll prove it to you because it happened to me. That's today's story. But before I let you get to that, can you do me a favor and consider becoming a, a paying subscriber? It's a premium member. It's eight bucks a month. It's not too much. 80 bucks for the whole year if you buy it in advance. And you get the video version of this podcast along with a couple more shows. I think it's worth it. And even if it's not quite financially worth it, I can tell you, which I think it is, it's morally worth it because you help us keep the lights on. Unlike the CBC, we don't take a dime from the government. So please go to the rebel.media slash show. Okay, here's the podcast. Tonight, Unifor, the media union that's campaigning against Andrew Scheer, is now trying to block conservative columns in newspapers. I know because they did it to me. It's September 18th and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. This week, the Globe and Mail published an article by me about media freedom, the liberal government, and us here at The Rebel. I wrote about how I had to be smuggled into a Canadian government press conference by the U.S. Secretary of State because the Canadian Foreign Minister blocked me from that same conference because she hates The Rebel. I wrote about how Sheila Gunn-Reed was banned from a press conference in London by Christia Freeland, and in that case, other journalists were so disgusted they refused to come if we couldn't come. Remember that? What about the rest? Uh, the rest of us? No, I no, think we no, all go. That's nonsense. No, 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 go. Let's take us to the room no. and we can see if we can. Then we're not going, Brittany. We're just not. We're all going. This is a media freedom conference. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, we're not I also mentioned in my column about Kean Bexty being banned from our own Canadian embassy by some Trudeau flunky. The Prime Minister's office has agreed with the Canadian press gallery that your organization's views are not welcome. So that's all I have. They'll get you to leave. <laughs> that column in the Globe and Mail, by the way, was so popular, my name became the third most popular item on social media trending in Canada. Now, if you're a regular rebel viewer, nothing in that op-ed was news to you. Censorship, free speech, liberal corruption, those are some of our regular themes here. But having a column about those things in the Globe and Mail brought those facts to the attention of people who probably had never seen them before. The Globe and Mail is a fancy newspaper, the newspaper of record for, say, Toronto bankers or Ottawa civil servants. I bet a lot of people who read the column had never even heard of the rebel before, so I was pleased to do it. But Canada's left-wing extremists had a cow. Not with what I wrote about. I admit I read probably more than a hundred criticisms of my op-ed, but not one of them, not one, challenged a fact that I actually wrote. 
or really even challenged my conclusion that the liberals don't believe in media freedom. Uh, all the criticism you know, wasn't about that. There was no debate about what I said. If anything, I, I think leftists nodded their head. They didn't dispute the facts of my column. They were, they were sort of happy about this censorship. Because in 2019, see, leftists don't debate anymore. They de-platform. They don't try to convince you to change your mind. They don't try to convince bystanders to change their mind. They put their energies into silencing any other points of view. That's actually what the op-ed was about. I don't think my column was that odd, especially in a newspaper. I mean, isn't that where you usually see defenses for freedom of the press? Well, we haven't seen a lot of those recently. I remember not too long ago when the ironically named Canadians uh, journalists for free expression actually had a petition to ban Donald Trump from coming to Canada to speak. They wanted to deplatform him and by extension ban any journalists who wanted to report on him. Uh, all of that is the opposite of free expression, isn't it? And, and even if my article was radical or controversial, and again, I read a lot of criticisms of it and no one actually challenged anything I said, isn't a comment section in the newspaper for controversial opinions? I mean, does it all really have to be eat your spinach lectures from David Suzuki about how he and Greta Thunberg can jet around the world, but you should use a paper straw and feel guilty for driving a car? I mean, isn't a guest column, a guest column in a newspaper actually supposed to be a bit controversial? The Globe and Mail has run things much more controversial than in defense of free speech. They've run the polar opposite, for example, a defense of authoritarian government of one-party rule in China, of the diminution of freedom. It wasn't quite called that, but it was called China Watch. And it was a multi-page supplement in the Globe and Mail, bought and paid for by the government of the People's Republic of China. Here's the Chinese embassy in Ottawa bragging about it. You can see it at the bottom of the page there, opening a new chapter. It was uh, actually written by China Daily, which is... Uh, which is run by the Communist Party. The, you can see here the headline of it, China's, uh, this is all on the Chinese embassy's website. It's an article by Ambassador Luo Zhaohui. So that's what the embassy says, and you can see a picture of what it looked like. It, it looked like a special section in the newspaper. It was laid out like a newspaper. Articles looked like a real newspaper. Now, it did say something on the top like sponsored content or whatever the new phrase is for ads. Now, I acknowledge that this is different from an editor choosing to run an op-ed from the Chinese Communist directly. This was a way of saying if you want to run your op-eds, Communist China, you're going to have to pay for them as ads. And that's fair enough. But my point is, there really wasn't a lot of clucking about that, was there? Oh, and here is an op-ed on the same page as me, so it wasn't a paid ad, it was an editorially curated column by the Chinese ambassador just a few months ago. Now, I think it's safe to say that the Globe and Mail doesn't agree with Communist China at all. In fact, let's be very honest, they have been the toughest newspaper in Canada on Communist China other than the Epoch Times. Not just tough on China itself, but their agents and apologists here in Canada. In fact, the Globe and Mail is being sued right now by a liberal politician because the Globe and Mail criticized his pro-China extremism. But the Globe at least allows another point of view. They host a debate. I'm not falling in love with them. Don't worry about it. I still criticize the Globe. But they do carry on a conversation which is different from a one-way monologue like you see at the CBC State Broadcaster. My point here is not to criticize the Globe, but to point out that all of those screamers who were mad that I was published in the Globe, well, they didn't really have a beef with the Globe publishing Chinese communist propaganda.
But then I read a media gossip site called Canada Land, and I realized it wasn't just complainers on the outside, on Twitter, mad that the Globe and Mail ran my piece on media freedom. Union bosses at the Globe were mad too. Like this guy, Mason Wright. He's the uniform boss at the Globe and Mail. Now, he's a pretty minor journalist there. He's a junior web editor. But he's the point man for Jerry Diaz's campaign against the conservatives. You know what I'm talking about. A few months ago, Jerry Diaz, the president of Unifor, the union that represents Global Mail journalists and journalists at many other media companies, well, he announced, as you can see, look at the picture at the bottom, welcome to Andrew Scheer's worst nightmare. You see that? They were going to fight Andrew Scheer and conservatives using their journalists' own union dues. They were going to campaign as a registered third-party campaign group. That's happening. It's what's called a super PAC in the United States. So get this. The Unifor Union, the campaign group that said they're going to be Scheer's worst enemy, they wrote a letter from within the Globe and Mail, from that shop steward, uh, Mason, demanding that the Globe ban me from writing anything in the newspaper ever again. I'm serious. They're fine with the Chinese ambassador. They're fine with Communist Party propaganda sections. Unifor didn't quarrel when Omar Khadr, a convicted confessed terrorist, was given op-eds in Canada. Op-eds that didn't even mention he was a terrorist. But I alone ought to be banned. Or is it really me alone? As part of Jerry Diaz's campaign against conservatives, has Unifor also been blocking other conservative op-eds? I don't know, from me, from, from the Taxpayers Federation maybe, from the Fraser Institute, is Unifor now censoring the media from within media companies as part of its third-party campaign plan? We know that Jerry Diaz and Justin Trudeau are, are close friends. They campaign together. Trudeau put Diaz on his NAFTA negotiating team, which was a diplomatic disaster, but Diaz wanted his PR moment. These guys are friends was trying to block me at the Globe a personal favor to Justin Trudeau or Gerald Butts? Here's the letter that was sent by Unifor shop steward to the Globe and Mail. Globe Unit Bulletin. Union rejects management's decision to publish Ezra Levant guest column. <laughs> now stop right there. That's not true. I mean, I know for a fact that many Unifor union members supported my op-ed, or either they supported the substance of it, what I said, or they supported the fact that the Globe published it, or they just liked the fact that the Globe was hosting a national debate about censorship, but for whatever reason, they liked it. I know this because they said so publicly. Now, I'm not going to name those individual journalists at the Globe who said so. Some of them are, are fairly senior, some are junior. They had the courage to indicate their support publicly, but given the vindictiveness of Jerry Diaz, they might want to delete those old tweets now before they're punished by their union. But my point is, I know for a fact. That union headline is a lie. You might even call it fake news, journalistically unethical, misinformation. That was not a letter from the union. It was a letter from the union bosses, not from the union members. Union members weren't even consulted. Okay, I'll read some more. Yesterday, a guest column appeared in the Globe and Mail's opinion section on the topic of press freedom in Canada. It was written by Ezra Levant, and the fact that it was published represents a serious error in judgment. <laughs> now, I should tell you that I have written for the Globe and Mail on rare occasions uh, for more than a decade. Here's some of my past articles. 
I used to work for the Toronto Sun and the Calgary Sun and the National Post. That's where I've mainly written, but I have written for the Globe and Mail more than a half dozen times. But only since this Unifor campaign to be the Conservatives' worst nightmare has the union tried to ban me. It's an innovation. It is a campaign tactic that they didn't use before they launched their campaign. Anyways, then the shop steward goes into personal smears. He writes, Mr. Levant, head of the far-right media outlet, The Rebel, has a history of giving favorable coverage to white supremacists, willfully promoting their racist rhetoric, even employing them as contributors. Well, that's just not true either. Not only do we have a multiracial staff, but we have a mix of people on camera over the years We've been like Noah's Ark, two of every kind of person you can name, regardless of race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, national origin, whatever the list is today. We've even had the LBGTQ23456. Here's Kean interviewing a transgender activist in a friendly setting. Um, not to be rude, but we have much more diversity racially, other ways like that, if that's important to you than the Uniform Media Union at the Globe and Mail does. Look, I don't judge people by race. I, I really don't care what race or sex or religion they are, but it sure seems Unifor does, or at least the signer of this letter, Mason Wright, the shop steward at the, so, uh, the Globe, he's so white. Uh, I'm not gonna make a Klan joke here, but it, he's so white he's pink. Let's just leave it at that. Um, he's a junior editor, but boy, does he play tough guy. He signed this letter. I think the chance that he wrote this letter is pretty close to zero. Now, I asked him, and I asked Jerry Diaz, who wrote it, and they wouldn't tell me. Um, Mason Wright wrote back to me and said, I'm not answering you. You're not even a journalist. And I said, well, uh, uh, did you write this letter, or did Jerry Diaz? I'm not going to deny it. I mean, he, he's just this pouty, pouty lad. It was quite embarrassing. I'll show you our correspondence another day. Anyways, by the way, on the subject of Mason Wright, uh, it's a name you've never heard before and will probably never hear again. I went on his LinkedIn page just to see who is this guy. I never heard of him. And I saw that he liked, do you see that there? He liked a column by the Globe and Mail's editor-in-chief, David Walmsley, about media freedom. Do you see that? Just a few months ago. So Mason Wright pretended to care about media freedom just a few months ago. Or at least he wanted to suck up to his boss, David Walmsley, by liking his column about media freedom. I wonder if Mason Wright even read it, though, because he's now signing a letter to that same David Walmsley editor demanding media censorship. But then again, I don't think Mason Wright actually wrote this censorship letter. I think Jerry Diaz and his super PAC did, and Mason Wright didn't deny it. I don't know. Maybe it was even written by the liberal war room itself, given how close Jerry Diaz and Justin Trudeau are. I'll read just a little bit more from this letter that was officially signed by Mason Wright, but we all know he didn't write it. The rebel does not practice responsible journalism in accordance with any reasonable standards of integrity. Publishing his undisputed claim of being a persecuted journalist legitimizes his viewpoint and is harmful to the credibility of the Globe and Mail, as well as the reporters and editors we represent. <laughs> you know what's harmful to the credibility of reporters and editors? Setting up a partisan campaign group to try to beat the conservatives in an election campaign where you're claiming to be nonpartisan reporters covering the conservatives and then boasting about it and registering that with Elections Canada. Trying to censor people at all is embarrassing to journalists anytime. 
That's what's embarrassing. But what do they mean about my undisputed claim of being censored? I mean, it is undisputed. I showed you earlier the videotape of each of the censorship interactions I mentioned. There are many more such moments, as you know, like when Rachel Notley sent a sheriff to kick Sheila Gunn-Reed out of the legislature in Alberta. That's undisputed, too. It's all on video. Uh, is, is Jerry Diaz and his errand boy, that junior web editor of The Globe, are they disputing what happened? Even the Globe and Mail wrote an editorial condemning Notley's censorship of us, written by a Unifor union writer. But that was before Jerry Diaz's super PAC, right? Is Jerry Diaz saying that was a lie or something? I'm confused. Is there anything at the Globe that Jerry Diaz won't try to wreck in his vendetta against Andrew Shearer? I don't know. Let me skip to the last line in Jerry Diaz's letter. On behalf of our members, we strongly reject management's decision to publish this article. Mason Wright, unit chair for the Globe and Mail, unit executive. But no, 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 no. He said he was writing on behalf of his members. He said that twice. But he didn't consult his members. I know that. Uh, he, he spoke for himself, or, or really, I don't think he spoke for himself. Um, I mean, come on, look at this. I want to show you the Globe and Mail's org chart. You have to scroll way, 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 way down. He's a junior web editor. Seriously, he's the lowest on the org chart. Junior editor, hey, you got to start somewhere. Um, someone who thinks that liking his boss's LinkedIn post will maybe get him ahead. I hope David Wamsley noticed I liked him on, hey, boss, I, I liked you on LinkedIn. I don't believe that Mason Wright actually wrote a word of it. He just passed it on from Jerry Diaz who was running the show at the Globe, or trying to. I called Mason Wright a few times today. He doesn't pick up his phone. Bit of a coward, probably for the best. I sent him an email, I had nine questions on it, like, why didn't you consult your members? Who did you consult, Jerry Diaz, his campaign team? Why didn't you object to the Chinese ambassador's column? Who else is on your list of banned writers? Have you ever done this before? Are you gonna punish the Globe workers who supported the op-ed? I don't expect that Mason Wright, this junior baby editor, will be allowed to reply to me. I sent a version of that email to Jerry Diaz too. Mason Wright just sent me a few in insults. I was sort of embarrassed for him. I'm gonna leave him alone. He's obviously not the person who's actually writing the letter here. Jerry Diaz won't answer either, but here's my point. We're in an election. Unifor is a registered campaign super PAC, third-party campaigner with Elections Canada. Now, until today, we thought that would only mean that they would use their members' union dues, just their money, to buy TV ads and billboards and leaflets and polls, you know, campaigning on the streets. But now we know differently. Jerry Diaz and his third-party campaign group intend to campaign, but not normally. They intend to campaign within the media companies they operate, operate hidden from view, sabotaging me. Well, they were a bit late to stop me. But who else have they stopped that we don't know about? Oh, and none of this will be reported as a campaign expense or a donation in kind in their Elections Canada return. As Trudeau himself has taught us, following the law is just for the little people, right, Jerry? Just one last note about this. I learned about the Unifor campaign within the Globe and this letter from a left-wing media gossip site. It's called Canada Land. They hate the rebel, which is fine. But instead of criticizing us, they believe in deplatforming us too, just like Unifor. So Canada Land ran a breathless story about this letter, but, and there's an irony here, 
while they think they got the scoop, they actually missed the huge scoop here. Here's what they thought was important. Look at the headline. How Ezra Levant's Globe op-ed got published. It was personally commissioned by the paper's editor-in-chief, according to newsroom sources. <laughs> How my op-ed got published, that's the interesting news here. And the shocking answer is um, the editor asked for it. That's, that's your news. That's, that's your blockbuster. Um, isn't the editor getting the column is, is, is there another way that a column might get published? Did you think I sort of sneaked it in? Canada Land thinks it's embarrassing to the Globe to publish a controversial op-ed, even though, like I say, it isn't actually controversial at all. The gossip item doesn't actually waste a single word criticizing or disagreeing with what I said in it. They think it's a story that I was published at all. They think that's embarrassing. That's what newspapers do, especially the comment section. Writing about that, well, in the media business, we call that a dog bites man story. It ain't news. But they were blinded by their rebel derangement syndrome, so they missed the big scoop here, the man bites dog story. There is a shocking news story. You won't find it in the Candleland piece. It's the shocking news story I just told you. It's not news that a newspaper ran a controversial op-ed. And by the way, today they ran two letters in response. So what? That's what they do. That's not news either. It's not news that I'm published in the Globe. I've been published there a half dozen times before, just like the Chinese ambassador. What's news, the big scoop, is that the Unifor Union campaign is actively trying to interfere with the election by killing op-eds from within newspapers in a favor for Jerry Diaz. In secret, in private, I guess. For that, we have to thank the gossips at Candleland. They showed us what was supposed to be a quiet move under the radar. Didn't even tell their other union members. Jerry Diaz's campaign their third-party super PAC is quietly pressuring editors across Canada, we can only presume, not to run conservative points of view. They won't disclose it on their campaign accounts. They falsely claim it's in the name of all their journalists when they never asked. And when I asked them, both Mason Wright and his boss Jerry Diaz, well, they hide, or at least they've hidden from my questions. This actually is big news. Election meddling. Unifor tilting the campaign. Unifor claiming its journalists all support censorship. Unifor acting in secret. That's a favor to Justin Trudeau. Now that actually is news, isn't it? Stay with us for more. moving from the swamp of Jerry Diaz and his union henchmen to the freest province in Canada, I think they're free again, is my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, who joins me by the side of the Freedom Highway. <laughs> and what is that behind you, Sheila? Can you see that? That's 47 linear feet of telling the truth. Our brand new Lebranos billboard went up today. It's along the side of Alberta's Freedom Highway, Highway 2, Alberta's busiest highway. This billboard behind me will get 1.3 million impressions. So that's 1.3 million times every single month where we can spread the news about the truth of Justin Trudeau's corruption and cronyism. 
Well, that's amazing. And I trust you on the 47 feet. I actually thought it was longer um, because it's just it's such it's such a big image. And we have the cover of the book and most importantly, how people can get it at thelebranos.com. You know what I like about this, Sheila? Not just that it tells the other side of the story, unlike the CBC and their poutine journalists. I like the fact <laughs> that it is going to irritate the Gerald Butts of the world. His face is uh, right behind you right now, uh, because they don't believe that grassroots citizens can have a say. Either the state-run journalists of the CBC, the bailout journalists, and no one else. They are probably going to try and prosecute us the same way Rachel Notley initiated and, frankly, uh, continues to this day under Doug Schweitzer, Jason Kenney's uh, Red Tory Attorney General. We can talk about that another day. I think, in short, this billboard is going to make all the right people angry. Yeah, I do too. Although it's making all the right people excited as I was here earlier today when the billboard was going up because I love to see the old billboard come down and I love to see the new one go up. It's kind of exciting. Um, but people are honking, people are waving, people are stopping to take pictures. So like you say, the grassroots are pretty excited about it. But I also checked something before I uh, came down to look at the billboard today. And that's that your book is number two in nonfiction in all of Canada on Amazon.ca. So not just uh, leading the charts in political books, but you're number two in all nonfiction books right now, today. And that just shows that people are really hungry for the truth and they know they can't get it anywhere else. They can't trust the CBC to tell them. They can't trust the mainstream media to tell them. They trust us to give them the truth and they're coming to us for it and they're buying your book in droves because they know it's not available anywhere else. This truth, the, the facts about the corruption, they're not getting it in the mainstream media. Either the mainstream media has mildly reported on it or has ignored it altogether. There's a lot of sweeping things under the rug happening right now. Yeah, you know, um, I'm grateful that people are buying the book. Of course, people who are longtime viewers of my show on The Rebel, not much in the book will come as, uh, as news to them because, of course, yeah. we cover the subjects every day. But uh, this book is designed to be a quick read for people who want to know more about Trudeau but haven't had a chance to learn because maybe they're reading... Uh, the Toronto Star, maybe they're watching the CBC, whatever. The book, it's only about, I think it's 138 pages. I'd have to check. It's a little different in the electronic form. We've kept the price pretty low. It's $7.50 for an ebook, 15 bucks for the paperback. So I think it's affordable. It's a quick read. My goal is to have as many Canadians as possible read it because you're just not going to get this info other places. And I want to tell you one more thing. While you're out there in Alberta, we've got a team of two young folks in Ontario driving a caravan. It's a vehicle towing a big stack of Lebrano's lawn signs. And if people want to get our lawn signs, just like the lawn signs for your book, Sheila, Stop Notley, are thelebranos.com lawn signs. They're free. Anyone can come and take one. Now, we invite people to make a donation to offset the cost, not just the cost of the billboard, but this young couple going across the country, we got to pay for their gas and their hotels and stuff like that. So we have a suggested contribution of 10 bucks. But if, if you don't have the 10 bucks, we'll give you the thing for free. It's a lawn sign. And it's funny, I joked when I put it up in front of my house yesterday, I joked, <laughs> I never thought I'd have a picture of Justin Trudeau on a, on a lawn sign. But in the context of the Lebranos, you're darn straight. You know, 
I, I was talking to someone in the office today. I'm getting a thousand of those lawn signs shipped to me because it was so much fun during the Stop Notley campaign uh, to be poodling around, giving out those signs, talking to our supporters, hearing their stories that I wanted to be a part of the sign delivery process. So I'll be taking care of at least some of Northern Alberta because it's just so much fun. So while it is a lot of work and our two little helpers, they're going to be exhausted every night when they finish uh, distributing the signs. Boy, they're going to have a lot of fun. They're going to meet a lot of great people and they're going to hear a lot of really great stories. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, I haven't really introduced them yet. We've been so busy just racing to do it. Um, We've asked them to do little video travelogues along the way. And you can actually see the route they're going to take. Now it's subject to change, of course. So check it daily at thelebranos.com. They're going to go literally across country. Remember, we had that United We Roll convoy that came from the west to the east. So you're out there in Alberta with some signs, these youngsters are going to be coming and they're going to be going west and they're going to be Ontario, they're going to be in BC, they're going to be in Manitoba, they're going to be in Saskatchewan. Some places that we haven't really spent enough time in the past, we're going to hit it all. And I really encourage people to come out because we'll probably be fairly close to you wherever you are. I apologize to our viewers in Atlantic Canada. We don't have plans to get there, but never say never. And it's just fun. I know the stories you would tell, Sheila, of, you know, people coming and hanging out. It was like a meetup. I wouldn't call it a picnic, but people come and hang out for a couple hours and banter with fellow rebels. I remember you said you had a lot of fun and people would even bring you donuts or gifts and baking and stuff like that. Yeah, I would get these little personalized gifts from people. It was really touching because they could see how hard we are working to spread the news about how terrible Rachel Notley was. Um, and people would show up with coffee. They would show up with food. People who follow my Twitter account would show up with beef jerky because they know I eat a lot of meat. <laughs> um, so it was really good. It was really great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's nice to speak to the people. I feel like I speak to the people every single day when I'm doing my job from my home studio, but it is way better yeah. to get out there into the world to talk to those people. And I think that's uh, why what Ian and David are doing, why that's so exciting is because they get to go from coast to coast to coast, wherever the news is, mm-hmm. chasing it right now, holding Justin Trudeau to account during this election campaign. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I'm delighted to see the billboard. It has a big impact. We also have plans for what we call those Jumbotron trucks. Those are the digital uh, LED screens on a truck. Those are great. Um, the lawn signs are being deployed. The book uh, number two on Amazon.ca. That's a pretty cool feeling. And you were you were yep. kind enough to me, Sheila, not to mention that your books have gone to number one, while mine only hit number two. So thank you for not rubbing that in. But if <laughs> but if folks want to go to to buy the book on Amazon, you can help get the rankings up. Uh, no, I feel pretty good about our coverage, especially compared to what I call the poutine coverage of the CBC. I mean, I, I just want to show our viewers what I'm talking about when a CBC journalist named oh. David Cochran when Trudeau said, here's some poutine, take it as a gift. We take care of the, uh, the CBC, we liberals. Here's a quick clip of, of how that looks. For you, David. This is for you. No, 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 no. For me? Hey. The Liberal Party always supports the CBC. Oh, who's going to taste it? 
you know what? We cut off that clip sort of early there. He actually tucked his cell phone away and started to eat to please his master. He didn't, like, the polite thing to do would be thank you and then put it down because you're not such a cheap tart that you can be bought off for a dinner. Like, you're, you're a little bit more of an expensive date. But, uh, but David Hawkman there, I mean, uh, buy the guy a $5 poutine and, uh, you know, he'll do whatever you want him to do. I don't want to make any prostitution jokes. I'm sorry if I made that innuendo, but I'm sorry. Uh, that's what was going on there. You saw a transaction, and in case you missed it, Trudeau himself was clarifying by saying, we liberals take care of the CBC. And so you and I and hundreds of other Canadians have started calling journalists poutine journalists or give that man a poutine. And, uh, oh, the CBC hates that, don't they? Yeah, Team Poutine is pretty mad right now. Uh, they've taken to uh, Twitter to whine uh, about just how mean the average citizen is being to them now that we've seen this transactional relationship between Justin Trudeau and the CBC caught on camera. I'm sure these sorts of interactions happen all the time. Not, I'm not saying they're exchanging uh, greasy hockey rink food for good coverage, but we know the Liberals get favorable coverage from the CBC because the CBC receives funding from the Liberals and promises of more funding from the Liberals. So, you know, it was, I think for the first time, uh, we saw that moment of honesty and that moment of, like, clarity where it was out in the open for everyone to see. Yeah. And the CBC... CBC journalists, they're not enjoying the fact that the truth is out. Yeah. Uh, let's put it back up on the screen for a second. Katie Simpson, uh, one of the government journalists, she's complaining. My Twitter mentions this morning a thread. And then she, and here's what she quotes is so shocking. When are you going to ask Trudeau some tough questions instead of just eating poutine? Um, that's a good question. I think because Katie Simpson is a plus-size woman, she thinks that maybe they're making fun of her being... Husky, I'm husky too, but they're not making fun of your size, lady. They're making fun of the fact that you were absolutely for sale for the price of a poutine. And she's, she's a cry bully. Katie Simpson and the rest of, and David Cochran and the rest of the government journalists are vicious when they are on the attack. But the first person to say, oh, I see you. You're for rent for a poutine. Are you calling me fat? I can't take this bullying. That's a cry bully for you. And I ain't buying it. Well, and if, if that were the worst thing that ever happened to me in the course of my job as a journalist, I think I would be doing pretty darn good. Um, our journalists face actual violence. David was accosted by that deranged maniac at the hotel. Um, I was punched. He and is routinely jostled about. Um, our, one of our cameramen, he sometimes gets jostled about. Uh, if this happened to Katie Simpson, she would be hospitalized in a coma for three weeks. Um, for having some sort of conniption. For us, it just happens in the course of our job. People are critical of Katie Simpson because they can see how she treats Andrew Shear. She treats Andrew Shear in a parking lot because he was done answering questions. And yet we see her colleagues 
receiving poutine and not even asking a single question. Yeah. That's the problem here. And she wants to flip it on the people who are being critical of her instead of just a little introspection yeah. about the quality of the work they're doing. Yeah. We just played a little montage while you were talking, Sheila, of all the times our journalists were physically attacked, including when that loser, Dion Buse, punched you out, out at a new Democrat rally in Alberta. I didn't hear a peep from Katie Simpson then. Yeah, I, I'm not going to cry too many tears for a journalist being said, hey, uh, you took a poutine to, to be a liberal, uh, because that's actually true and that's legitimate. And every single person she's complaining about actually pays her salary unwillingly. Sheila, it's great to see you. I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad a thousand lawn signs are coming to you. I know they'll be snapped up. I want to tell, tell everyone who's watching, the book is $7.50 if you want it as an ebook. That's fairly affordable. The paperback version is 15 bucks or a little bit less even. If you want something for free, and I get it, you can get a lawn sign. I encourage you to chip in 10 bucks to cover the cost. But if you're an Albertan who's still hurting uh, from the oil patch being destroyed by Trudeau, we'll give you a lawn sign for free. In fact, we'll give you a, a hug and a handshake too, not a Trudeau gropey hug. You got it. But, uh, but like a arm's length shoulder hug and we'll give you a lawn sign so go to the labranos.com you can see where we are sheila when you get the signs there to northern alberta we'll have another map for folks there i'm not sure if kean's going to be distributing but there's a lot of built of lawn signs for everybody join the fun is what i'm saying it's fun to be a rebel yep. it's fun to mock the labranos and you can get a lawn sign for free i'd appreciate it if you chip in a tenor but it's not necessary last word to you sheila I can't wait to give out these signs. I can't wait to meet all of our rebels. I can't wait to hear their stories about how they despise Justin Trudeau. Um, I think it's a great way to fight back and annoy all the right people. Right on. Well, thank you, my friend. And uh, all those folks driving north and south in Alberta, keep your eyes peeled for that mighty, mighty billboard. All right. Thanks, Sheila. We'll talk to you later. You got it, Ezra. Okay. Stay with us. More ahead, folks. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about the good boy media getting poutine from Justin Trudeau. Barb writes, repeaters in Trudeau's media entourage are not reporting, they are repeating liberal propaganda, not an honest and ethical repeater in the group, bought by Trudeau and his scavengers using taxpayer dollars. Yeah, you know, um, you can't really be an accountability journalist if you're taking something from the person you're there to hold to account whether it's $1.5 billion that the CBC gets, $600 million that the uniform media gets, or even just poutine. Uh, I don't blame uh, Cochran, David Cochran, the CBC journalist, for what Trudeau did to him, handing him poutine. I blame Cochran for taking it, actually putting his cell phone in his other hand to enable the taking of it, and then eating it for Justin Trudeau's pleasure, smiling and joking. That part I do blame him for. A more self-respecting journalist who wasn't on the payroll would have said thanks and put it down. You don't take a gift. And the reason Trudeau wanted to see him eat it right there is because when you pay a bribe, the other person has to take it. He can't drop it on the ground. Take it, eat it, enjoy it. I want to see the irrevocable proof that you take things from me. and. 
that even, even that wasn't enough. Trudeau had to narrate it. We liberals take good care of the CBC. Imagine the humiliation that a normal journalist would feel when being told by power, we got you in our back pocket. But a government journalist revels in that because that's who he pleases. My only goal is to please my viewers. Not only is that my moral goal, the day I stop doing that is the day everyone quits subscribing to our premium channel or giving to our crowdfunding. I must answer to our, our viewers or I'm out of business in a week. David Cochran is the opposite motivation. He must please Justin Trudeau, especially in this crucial campaign, or he's out of business. He worships power. He doesn't check it. Peter writes, what would be the point of asking Justin a question? If you're protected by a bubble, you aren't accountable. Well, we have seen a few questions asked. You know, um, the other day there was a woman who was not an official reporter who managed to attend a reporter's scrum and stood right next to David Cochran and she asked a tough question to Justin Trudeau. Here, I'm gonna play a quick clip of this. Take a look at this. You can answer the question. We make sure that Corrections Canada keeps the safety of all prisoners at the top of mind every step of the way. We do that in a way that is consistent with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We continue to apply all the necessary laws to keep Canadians and people in our correction facilities I think that's an interesting question. We've talked about that before. That's when um, Trudeau passed a, an order that anyone who identifies as a woman gets to go to a woman's prison. So that Jonathan Yaniv, who pretends to be a woman, he could just say, I'm a woman, and he can be put in a women's prison with female guards and other female prisoners. He can even choose the sex of the prison guard who searches him, who examines him, who watches him on closed circuit TV. Justin Trudeau made that weird, weird decision. There's a real question by a real citizen. Uh, it was a good question, Trudeau didn't answer it well. But by the way, all the other journalists mocked her, including David Cochran, who called her angry and shouty. Hey, she was a better journalist than you, Mr. Poutine. Carol writes, I don't understand how so many women fall into the grasp of creepy Justin. Well, <laughs> um, grasp means that he handles them. Fall under the grip means he gripped them. To fall under the, the enchantment or fall under an illusion is one thing that's psychological, but you were so right. How do they fall into the physical grasp of him? Because he, he does this move, and let me explain it to you again, and it's essential that the move is done in public. At this best moment of her life, one of the best moments of her life, this uh, Bianca, I, I don't want to try and pronounce her last name, forgive me. The best moment of her life was when she won the tennis match. But this is her crowning moment back in Canada. All the lights are on her. It's her public moment. And at that precise moment, a powerful man, the Prime Minister, comes up to her and puts her in an extremely uncomfortable position. In real time, cameras rolling, everyone's smiling. She has an instantaneous decision to make. Push back at this creepy, pervy, middle-aged guy and turn 
a beautiful moment into an embarrassment or submit and comply. See, if Trudeau, a 47-year-old man, were to encounter that 19-year-old teenager for the first time in private, and he went up to her like that, she would push back. Maybe she'd say, what are you doing? She would run for the door. She would say, back off, or I got my rape whistle or something, because she wouldn't be embarrassed. Trudeau would be embarrassed, but Trudeau is in a power imbalance betting match. And that's why he does it at his cabinet swearing-ins. That's why he did it to the governor general, hand on her ass, remember that picture? Because for her to, he wouldn't, I don't think he would try that in private at first. He does it in public because they don't want to make a scene. That is a pervy sociopathic move. We never did get an answer to the question, did Justin Trudeau ever spend time with Jeffrey Epstein? That's our show for the day. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.